Open your cerebral cortex and shift your lobes into upper beta phase because you are going to have Bitcoin knowledge transmitted directly into your vestibulocochlear. Your host of Bitcoin Knowledge is Trace Mayer, an early Bitcoin advocate since it cost a quarter, but this is not intended to be investment advice. A doctor of jurisprudence, but this is definitely not legal advice. And an investor in core cryptocurrency infrastructure, including Armory, BitPay, Kraken, and Mitagio, but this is not a recommendation of those services. Here, you get fed via direct mind download with pure and free Bitcoin knowledge. Okay, welcome back to the podcast. We have a very important guest with us today. We have Marshall Long, CTO of Final Hash, one of the leading Bitcoin mining experts in the world. Welcome to the podcast, Marshall. Thanks, Trace. Thanks for having me on. Can you give us a little bit of your background? Like, how'd you get into Bitcoin and why Bitcoin mining specifically? Yeah, so kind of got in around 2009 late. And um, it's interesting. One of my friends was like, hey, man, you got to check out this crazy Internet money that you can make with your computer. So I guess that kind of what my wife would describe as started me down the dark path of loud and hot housing. So <laughs> just the whole mining concept. This was just, you know, very superficial in 2009. I didn't really see the long game, unlike yourself. I mean, I think from the get-go, you definitely saw the mass appeal that it's gaining today. I was more of, hey, this is kind of nerdy and cool. I'm yeah. going to check it out. Yeah, and I mean, I, I remember back in those days, you know, mining mining even with my laptop. Yeah. And I mean, back in those days, we'd actually earn like a 50 Bitcoin block reward. Oh, yeah. So, it was like a dollar. Right? Yeah, <laughs> w- w- less than a dollar in some yeah. cases. And I mean, you'd earn like multiples of these rewards That's like right. every day uh-huh. mining with a laptop. What is Bitcoin mining? Like, you know, some of our audience like might not even really understand what we're doing. Yeah, sure. So one of the big kind of claim to fames, I'll say, of Bitcoin is this whole security model, how the big banks and the big players can't mess with it. Now, one of the reasons that's true is because of this mining aspect. So really what you're doing when you're mining Bitcoins is you're securing the network. What I mean by that is when somebody sends some Bitcoins, It's got to be confirmed by the network. And what that actually means is some miners have to verify that you actually sent the coins to who you intended them to go to through this kind of process of confirming that, you know, if Trace sends me bitcoins, some other miner somewhere has to verify that actually Trace didn't send me the same bitcoins that he sent somebody else. So that's kind of why mining is important, because it's actually the foundation of what makes Bitcoin so secure. Yeah, so I like to use the term triple entry bookkeeping. Sure. When Bitcoins are going from address A to address B, you've got a debit and a credit and a corresponding debit and credit. And this verification, this confirmation that you're talking about, that's the triple entry. That's saying that that transaction actually did happen. And that confirmation is being done by this distributed, decentralized protocol or network of computers. That's right. Is that accurate? Yeah. And so how does a block, because when you craft a transaction, you then submit it to the network and a miner can choose to include it in a block? Yeah. So this is kind of an interesting time for mining right now, because when you actually send a transaction out and broadcast it to the network, a miner has to pick it up in a block. So if he's working on a block, he can say, okay, I want to include your transaction in my block. What that means is your transaction will go into this kind of every 10-minute 
block finding game. So everybody thinks miners are just creating bitcoins, but in reality, what they're actually doing is picking up transactions and pushing them into this next round of blocks and this, aka, this next round of bitcoins that they're creating. So that's really what they're doing is they're including everybody's send out transactions over the course of 10 minutes or so, give or take, and uh, they're putting them into a transaction, which means putting them into a block, and for that reward, they're getting, right now, 25 Bitcoins. Why would they want to include transactions in a block? That sounds like extra work. In reality, it is. So as you send Bitcoins, you get the option of, okay, I want to include a transaction fee, which will incentivize miners to pick up this transaction. Because if you send it with zero fees, a lot of miners right now on a large scale, they're actually saying to the network, hey, I'm not going to pick up that transaction. Now, not every miner is doing that. A lot of the small guys don't do that. But all the big guys are not including transactions that have a 0% fee because they're not incentivized to do so, which means your transaction just may take longer than somebody else that's going to put up a fee to have miners include their transaction in the next blocks. So when we're adding these blocks, we add them to the blockchain? Maybe you can describe a little bit about what this blockchain is. All right, so this blockchain, it's a very descriptive term. You have all these blocks being confirmed, and the actual chain terminology is this quote-unquote ledger, where when I include a transaction, it's going to be published into what is called the blockchain, which effectively is a large tamper-proof, we'll call it order book, or a record of some kind. Ledger. Ledger is a great descriptor. You know, the guys at Ledger Wallet, they picked a, a very decent name for their wallet. So it's effectively a tamper-proof record book or ledger of what's happened since Bitcoin began. And so every single transaction that makes it into this blockchain, it becomes, in effect, an immutable fact That's right. uh, that is cryptographically provable. That's right. Because when we want to get our transaction included into a block, we actually have to solve a math problem, right? Like, maybe you can describe how that works. Right. So when you're actually going and you're doing this kind of mining process, what you're actually doing is taking a whole bunch of guesses at what this kind of magic equation number is. That solves the, That's the right, equation. That's right. That solves the equation so that you can... A nonce. Right. So this kind of golden nonce is where you're going to hit the block, you're going to include everybody's transactions, and you're going to be rewarded. And that's where the power is, because you can prove a lot of things with this hashing through these nonces and taking a guess. I, I equate it really to just having a, a shotgun and you're just kind of spraying around and trying to guess which which number is the right one for you to be able to pick up this next round of blocks. When a miner solves a block, how do they determine where that block reward goes? So really it's an arms race. So whoever's got one of two things, and if you've got both, you're kind of killing it. So there, there's two factors and who is going to be rewarded. You can either have a large amount of hashing power where you've just got a lot of computational power, just kind of blowing away through these blocks. And you can pick up blocks, obviously, it's, it's linear. So if you've got more power, you're going to find more blocks. However, there's also this kind of aspect of luck. It's interesting. I, we spun up a new instance of, I don't know, maybe 100 machines, which by today's standards is not super large. And we found a block within five minutes. Now, the, the estimated time for us to find a block was four days with this small amount of machines. But this kind of concept of luck is... One of the machines just took a really good guess right at the beginning, and it, it hit. So this kind of concept of luck makes it also available for you know small guys to be able to hit blocks, too. How much of the mining power of Bitcoin is in China? Through my personal contacts and my clients, 
and some of the stuff we do also, uh, we're probably looking at over 50%. What do you mean like your clients and what you do? I mean, what exactly do you do over there in China? Sure. So in a final hash, we're pretty diverse, but in China exclusively, what we're doing is, is two things. We're helping take out new chips because miners are filling the crunch right now for power efficiency on their mining machines and these kind of things. We do a lot of chip tape outs. We do a lot of deployments. We help consult and make things automated for them because, I mean, the, the Chinese business model is let's throw something up and then just hire a bunch of guys to run through the aisles and turn machines off. You know, a lot of folks are feeling the financial squeeze and they're looking to save money on a bunch of different areas since the difficulty is really high. So we'll come in and we'll implement some software so they don't have to have 20 guys running up and down the aisles of the data center. We also just recently signed some contracts to move a, a rather large exchange to China. That's an exchange called Cripsy. So they're expanding to China to kind of serve this underserved population that's, you know, billion and a half people that are hungry for something. So in China, I would say it's a lot of hardware stuff, a lot of financial stuff, and a lot of folks have problems getting into China just because economies of scale in China are very different than they are virtually anywhere else. So... Now, an interesting aspect, you, you hit on it with like this probability and this luck of finding a nonce. And in with the law of large numbers, we can pretty accurately predict if you have so much hashing power, then you'll find so many blocks. The expenses will be so much with having to acquire the chips and the machines and the electricity, but it severs the audit trail. You know, we have the expenses, but then we create these brand new Bitcoins in the network that we can do anything with. Is that advantageous to some of your clients, to the Chinese? It's interesting. So when you're doing these new kind of hardware tape outs, you have two options. You can either mine with it yourself or you can sell it to the general public. Now, especially for the U.S. and most of the Western world, there's kind of a stigma on Chinese products just in general, which I'm not going to say is unfounded. But really, if you want some good hardware, you got to get it from China at a decent price. Because right now the price is depressed a little bit and... Uh, it's hard to turn money doing mining. So if they're going to sell to the public, they generally try to partner with some people with good reputation that can help them move hardware using their name. Because if you just have a new Chinese company spin up, nobody's going to trust them just because of the stigma of doing business with Chinese due to some decade old, you know, what have you. Now, if you're going to mine with it, it's quite risky also because you've got, you know, maybe a two to five million dollar tape out expense that you're trying to cover. So if you don't have virtually free electricity and you don't have adequate cooling, really, what's your choice? You got to sell them. But if you can't sell them, you got to mine with them. So it's kind of a catch-22 because if you mine with them, you're probably going to lose money if you don't get very inexpensive electricity. And if you try to sell them, you're probably not going to be able to because this mining is so competitive right now because of the price deflation. Well, when you talk about like you're going to lose money... We have a lot of mining that goes on in Argentina, China. You know, these are countries that have controls on the flow of capital. Does that go into the economic calculation that individuals or businesses are taking into account when deciding whether or not to invest in these mining farms? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. China in particular, there's so much capital floating around China from guys who made it big, you know, in the 70s when China kind of opened its arms to the rest of the world that a lot of our big investor clientele see this as kind of the new renaissance, kind of when Mao opened the doors and the guys after Mao opened the doors up, they kind of see this as their second wind of, you know, hitting it big again. So you've got guys that are willing to roll the dice and sit on the coins. We've got one client that has held 
Litecoin ever since the beginning. So not just Bitcoin. They were one of the first script coins, tape outs to be successful. They have not sold a single Litecoin. And that's because they're just speculating on the price because they can afford to do so. So that's one thing. And as far as the economic and totalitarian system in China, China is actively going through a cultural renaissance right now. The, the premier of China, Xi Jinping, that's kind of his mantra right now is let's get all this corruption out of everything and let's do a, another cultural renaissance. And it's, it's an interesting time in China because you can kind of feel the undertone of things starting to change. And economic prosperity is one of those things. And Bitcoin is a very readily available solution to that problem. To that problem of state control over the money. And sure. so you're talking about the liberalization of this economy, the freeing up of people to engage in trade and economic calculation to get away from the price controls. And one of those primary price controls is going to be on the renminbi, on right. the yuan itself. So how is that impacting this whole Bitcoin altcoin market? It's interesting, and this is a, a big primary pushing mechanism for Cripsy going to China, actually, is this is the first time in history that it's truly easy and openly accessible for anybody to do truly global commerce. So if I wanted to order something from a U.S. company, and I'm in China, outside of customs regulations and these kinds of things, you can physically order something real-time, instantaneously, without having to go through any kind of regulatory roadblocks. And from a country that's had a full history of full repression economically, financially, totalitarianism is a great place to kind of see Bitcoin take off. And that coupled with Xi Jinping being, I'm not going to say an extremely lax premier, but he's definitely more open to some new opportunities, makes it uh, outside of China just kind of chopping the Internet from the outside. It's it's a really interesting case study to see what happens when you suddenly give a totalitarian system and a repressed population the open access to really interact with the whole world. Well, I mean, we saw, you know, after Mao and kind of the liberalization of the economy in that first wind, 300 plus million people lifted out of poverty. That's right. And so with the rise of cryptocurrencies and liberalization further of their economy, I mean, we find that wealth generation follows increased freedom and that economic stagnation follows repression and regulation and things of that nature. That's why the Western economies are doing so poorly and there's no growth in the U.S. and the EU, for example. They have just so overly regulated and burdened their entrepreneurs and, and wealth creators. So you're seeing the opposite of that trend in China. Yeah, and it's when I first went to China, I didn't really see it. So I kind of got to know some of my partners and kind of interface with some of the local population there that were using Bitcoin. And you start to see this kind of play where big investors are willing to roll the dice on two things. Yeah, maybe I'll make a lot of money, maybe not. But these are guys with billions of renminbi that are willing to roll the dice on two things. Yeah, maybe I'll make some money if Bitcoin goes to the moon. But the bigger potential is let's actually try to make something for the public. I mean, you have big philanthropic guys in the U.S., you know, Bill Gates. Warren Buffett, those kind of guys that do the same thing. But for new money, it's a very, in my opinion, a big paradigm shift because most new money guys are worried about generating more wealth. In this case, generating more wealth is kind of the caveat of, you know, helping their country kind of get their act together. And we're talking about getting their act together so that they can be even more competitive with their exports, create even more jobs. 
are we seeing Chinese exporters using Bitcoin as a currency instead of dollars or renminbi? So right now you're not on, on a large scale because China has not officially come out and said, yes, we approve or no, we do not approve. Because the reality is still to this day, large amounts of money don't move in China without the government giving you a nod and saying, OK, that's fine. You know, it's interesting. Jack Ma, his whole business model around Alibaba is very different than pretty much anybody else, which is why I think he's had huge success. And he's never taken a single penny from the government and he's never listened to a single thing the government said. He pays his taxes and they leave him alone. The question is, well, how can that be? It's because him, unlike all his other colleagues, he didn't take any money from the government. He didn't give any money to the government. He's one of the originators of laissez-faire in China, I think. Wow. And, I mean, we're talking, what What did they just IPO? At? Yeah, they IPO'd Alibaba for, like, the starting price was $60 or something ridiculous. Which, what type of market cap? Like, uh, it was, I mean, it's it huge. Like, $100 billion or something like that? $170 billion or something crazy. Yeah, like something just absolutely crazy. Do you think we're going to continue seeing more publicly traded companies coming out of China, like I, more I, wealth I creation? Because that's kind of Jack Ma's, that, that's his mantra. He wants to, his whole thing with Alibaba and especially Alipay, um, he, he likes to say, we're not really the eBay of China. We are truly the world merchant. They have over a billion different products on Alibaba. That, that number, you can't even comprehend that. Right? Wow. They make Amazon look small. Yeah. Wow. And, and the way they're so successful is they do this kind of trusting mechanism where Alipay is effectively an escrow service. Jack Ma effectively employs, I don't know, something like 10 million merchants or something just in mainland alone. Wow. So are we looking at like what effect could cryptocurrencies have for these Chinese businesses that want to establish trust, uh, deal with consumers, etc.? I mean, we've got trustless payments, multi-sig, things that we can build right into the currency. Like, how is this going to affect e-commerce? So, in my opinion, I think Bitcoin, maybe not even Bitcoin, some other currency maybe, that's cryptographically provable and easily to move around, you're going to start seeing this rejuvenation again of lifting people up out of poverty because now you empower small-time merchants that, you know, maybe they don't even have access to an e-commerce store, which is why Alibaba is so successful because they make it extremely simple and effective for people to be able to sell their goods and products that they have either made themselves or have access to effectively giving you an easy way to run your own business i mean look at uber uber's business model is incredible i take uber in a lot of different places around the u.s and i talk to every single one of them and i ask them what do you like about uber and their answer every single time is i'm running my own business effectively I don't have to buy a cab. I can use the transport I've got right now, and I can generate revenue on my own. And that's a really powerful thing. Yeah, the mesh net or the sharing economy. Right. When it comes to Bitcoin, you know, what are you what are you most optimistic about? I would say what I'm most optimistic about is the new applications that are being built for Bitcoin. Right now, we've got a a problem in Bitcoin. The benefit of Bitcoin is also the problem. It's very easy to move and kind of transition currencies and these kind of things. But it's also, for the general public, very, I guess, aqueous would be a good word there, where a lot of people just don't understand it, but there's a lot of applications that are making it exceedingly simple for people to, to move money. And there are some applications now that utilize Bitcoin on the back end. 
So we've got a, a money transmission conference going on in the Philippines at the end of the summer where, you know, coins.ph, they do it really well. You send money, but the mechanism is Bitcoin. The actual transaction is not Bitcoin. So if I put dollars into a kiosk, they're going to use Bitcoins to send it to the Philippines, and then you're going to get pesos on the other side. In an hour with a guy delivering it on a motorbike. That's right. and Which it, is just unbelievable. insane. And they have, what, like 25% of their employees are all uh, offshore freelancers? That's right. And it, it's interesting. RSBC partnered with us for this conference, and we asked them for some metrics. You know, what are you guys seeing as far as incoming capital? And they said over 90% of effectively what we can call GDP is from outside the country. We've had a very important interview with Marshall Long, CTO of Final Hash, one of the leading mining experts in the world. Thanks for being with us, Marshall. Yeah, man, Trace, I really appreciate it. Hopefully uh, you guys found it education. I'd like to give a shout out to Aaron Baldy, one of our fans who contacted us via facebook.com forward slash Bitcoin knowledge and made this really cool music for us. Enjoy. Cryptocurrency. This is it. This is the end. Y2K 2012 9-11. I survived them all. I am back from a multi-universe. Chosen one to overcome this world power. You kill me and I shall return with more power to live to infinity. AI on my side to take control of this mind control. Get back to poverty. Cryptocurrency shed light on thee. You think this is the end game? There it's just the same. I've been given the secret to shut it down. To turn a corner on this world order. Frequency equals one over time. Frequency equals one over time. Apocalypse. Apocalypse, apocalypse. I survived them all, never shall I fall, never. Turn this mind into a mathematical vortex. Harness the power of the golden ratio. Dark matter we control. If I say it, then it's so. Listen, you better know. Yeah, listen, you better know. We rise together, together tonight. Crypto shedding the light. World order in our sight. Re envision what it is. Won't ignore it, do it right. Won't even budge a little bit in this fight. Apocalypse, we're here to overturn. Apocalypse, we're here to overrun. Apocalypse, not here to wait a turn. I survived them all, never shall I fall, never. Apocalypse, we're here to overturn. Apocalypse, we're here to overrun. Apocalypse, not here to wait a turn. I survived them all, never shall I fall, never. We're here to overturn. The system of corruption, sent to watch us burn. We're here to overturn. The system of corruption, sent to watch us burn. You're about to witness the rise and fall. While I stand tall, I survived them all. I am back from the multi-universe with the answers. I concluded the search in the darkness. Let's move past this, onto greener pastures. A new strength we're about to embark with. Let's move past this, onto greener pastures. A new strength we're about to embark with. Apocalypse, we're here to overturn. Apocalypse, we're here to overrun. Apocalypse, not here to wait a turn. 
divide them all, never shall I fall, never Apocalypse, we're here to overturn Apocalypse, we're here to overrun Apocalypse, not here to wait our turn I survive them all, never shall I fall, never I survive them all, never shall I fall, never I survive them all, never shall I fall, never I survive them all, never shall I fall, never I survive them all, never shall I fall, never I survive them all, I am back from a multi-universe Chosen one to overcome this world power I survive them all, I am back from a multi-universe Chosen one to overcome this world power Overcome this world power Overcome this world power Get a copy of the free Bitcoin guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn. Don't be shy. To help the show, share bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate.